I'm going to start um, this morning by showing you some pictures of road signs. For those of you who know me, this will be no surprise whatsoever that I'm going to start in this way. Um, But I'm going to show you a few what I would consider fairly confusing road signs to get us thinking this morning. So let's have the first one up. So you arrive in a situation. You have to stop. You cannot turn left. You cannot turn right. You cannot turn forward, nor can you reverse. I'll let you mull on what you do in this situation. So that's confusing road sign number one. What have we got next? Right, so in this particular sample, um, you will note that you can turn either right or left to go on the same road to Stoke and to reach the M6. So just what you do there, I don't know. Which way do you go? What have we got next? This is one of my favourites from our friends in Ireland. Um, You'll see that uh, Killaloe is both nine kilometres and eight kilometres away simultaneously. One of those signs is telling the truth. One of those signs is not. We're trying to have some interpretation from this side of the room, which is, which is admirable if futile, I'd suggest, in this particular circumstance. One of them is telling the truth. One of them is not. We don't know. What have we got next? Who knows what's going on here? I'm just going to let that one speak for itself. <laughs> No more to say on that one. And my personal favourite just says, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, So they they all highly amused me when I I was looking for confusing signs on the internet. Um, And I wanted to put them first up, partly because it's a bit of fun, but also I think... When we think about life, when we think about faith, when we think about spiritual things, um, we can often have a default of assuming that they are confused. We can often have a default of thinking there isn't really any true guidance, there isn't really any true way. It's all a bit of a fuzz that we've got to navigate our way through as best possible. But is that really the case? Or is there something more firm, more solid on offer? This is what Jesus is addressing to his disciples in our passage today. Um, So if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to John chapter 14. Um, And we are carrying on our series in Jesus's I am statements. So I'm going to read from verse one of John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me 
has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the works themselves. Um, The discourse carries on, but we will leave it there um, for now. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a verse that I'm guessing many of us might be familiar with. It is a, it's quite a famous verse. It's often quoted. Um, but I wonder, in our familiarity, um, if we've lost something um, of the weight and of the sheer enormity of what Jesus is saying in, these verse, in this verse. Um, th- this verse is one which, in certain parts of America, you see on kind of bumper stickers of cars. We've almost turned this verse into a little kind of catchphrase or slogan. Uh, we've written nice little songs about it. You know, near that children's song, I am the way, the truth and the life. That's what Jesus says. Nothing wrong with it. He does says that. But it just... It just makes it feel quite light, doesn't it? Just like almost a little throwaway. This is the jingle we're going to put over our faith. And I want to suggest that it is more than a jingle. It's more than a um, number plate slogan. Um, It is arguably the most offensive thing that Jesus says in in the entire scripture. And Jesus says quite a few of those things, by the way. And we heard brilliantly from um, John Marshall early in this series when he was talking on I am the bread of life, just of the unavoidable offence of what Jesus says and claims about himself. Um, So what I want to do this morning is just spend some time unpacking each element of this I am statement. So the way, the truth and the life. We'll look at those three in turn. Um, So I'm going to start by talking about the way. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the way? I think this is a really kind of easy phrase to misunderstand, and I've certainly misunderstood it when I've been thinking about this verse in the past. I think when we hear Jesus say, I am the way, we can quickly go to thinking, oh, Jesus is a, is a great example. I've got to kind of try and, try and do what Jesus does as, as, a, as an example, and as kind of being nice, and of living well, and of kind of being healthy, almost as a kind of model of self-help and kind of that being the way of Jesus. Um, And obviously, being like Jesus is something that we aspire to and we look to God to make us more like Jesus. But if if we think of Jesus just in terms of a good model and a good example, we're not going to get very far, mainly because we'll find very quickly that we are not Jesus. And so we cannot live perfectly to his model and his example. And so we'll quickly discard him as an option for kind of our model of the way to live life. Now, so what is, what is Jesus getting at here when he says, I am the way? Well, in the, in the early church, um, followers of Jesus uh, were often called followers of the way. And we see references to that in the book of Acts. So before they were called churches or Christians, um, one of the most commonly used phrase was followers of the way. That still doesn't answer our question exactly what does this mean. Um, Jesus 
says some really quite difficult things about following him. Jesus says some really quite hard things about what it means to be his follower or to be a follower of the way throughout the Gospels. He says things like, to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me. You must follow this path of dying to self if you will live. He says to another man, if you want to be my follower, don't go and bury your father. The dead will bury their own dead. No, follow me right now. Kind of a shocking and offensive urgency um, that says, look, the kingdom of God is even more important than the earthly affairs of family and death. Jesus elsewhere says, <laughs> I'm just going to quote what he says directly. He says, if you, if you will not hate your mother or brother or sister or many other family members, you cannot be my follower. Now, we... We've had some teaching fairly recently um, at New Day, in fact, about what that really means. And it it doesn't mean we need to leave here and go and commit war on all of our family. But it is a matter of priorities again. Jesus was speaking in this language to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. If your family opposes me and the family opposes your way, you must love me. You must make actions that to the world may look like you hate your family because you are preferring me. Now, obviously, you're not hating your family in that sense. You are loving them still, but you have to make choices that may look like that to the world. Really hard, offensive stuff. To another person, Jesus says, you must sell everything you have to follow me. Sell all of your possessions and come and follow me. Wow. He tells a story of people who put their hands to plowshares, people who go out into the field to start on a hard work. But then if they turn back and let go, Jesus says, you're not fit to be my follower. There's there's no half heartedness. There's no no starting and dipping our toes in. Jesus says, we've got to go for it. And in another one of his famous pictures, Jesus describes following him as walking the narrow way, not the broad and easy path of life, but a winding narrow path to know him. So whatever this way is. Jesus sets the bar really, really high for becoming followers of the way. Jesus does not make it easy to follow him in the Gospels. And this seems, this seems odd. This seems really odd. We're thinking, well, Jesus, if you want people to become your followers, if you want them to believe the truth, if you want them to come to God, wouldn't you just make it, wouldn't you just make it as easy as possible? Wouldn't, wouldn't you just, you know, zap them into realising who you are? And they'd all be your followers. They'd all be confessing you as the Lord that you really are. Why set the bar so high? Why, why be so offensive when trying to build a movement like this? If a political leader trying to gain office took this strategic approach, they'd be annihilated at the polls and in the press. And our, our minds just think, Jesus, what are you doing here? And again, we saw it earlier when we were thinking about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And in the explanation, he pushes on and say, well, actually, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That, that's what this means. It's like, what? What? You've given a hard teaching and you've made it even harder and more difficult. And you're asking us to run with it. So, so what is going on here? Why is, is the bar set so, 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 so high? And I think there are two, two parts to that question. I think there are two parts to the answer to that question. I think in the first instance, 
Jesus sets the bar so, 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 so high to make the point that to be a follower of Christ, to to believe in him, to confess him and to give our lives to him. That is not a work that can come from within us. It is a work that we must look exclusively to our father in heaven to work within us. We cannot possibly follow on the way in our own strength, in our own wills, in our own spirits. No, we need that act of God. We need that enlightening, awakening, regenerating act of God to come and take hold of us. We need to welcome the Holy Spirit in to live supernatural lives. Because in the natural, in our own strength, in our own wills, we're not going to make these bars. We're not going to make these very, very high bars of becoming followers of the way. So firstly, it's God's work, not our work. But secondly, I think Jesus is actually being realistic. He's saying, actually, this is hard. If you want to follow me in a world that has turned away from me, if you want to follow me um, in these frail bodies that you have riddled with sin, it's hard. If you want to follow me in a spiritual realm where there is a war going on, it's not easy. It's, it's, it is a war. It is a battle. Don't think that this is something that you can take on lightly. So becoming a follower of the way and being a follower of the way is a hard thing, but it is God's work. And that should be a thing of great hope and encouragement to us. Um, and I was reading last summer a book around what it meant to become a member um, in the early centuries of the Christian church. And again, what, the, what you had to go through to be accepted as a kind of member, recognised follower and full partner in those churches was absolutely extraordinary to our kind of modern ears. You'd go through over two years of intensive teaching. You would have a sponsor who would have to give regular reports and updates on you. There were certain parts of the church service that you'd have to leave because that was just for those who had been baptised and been admitted to communion. Again, lots and lots and lots of stages that we think, but, but hang on, hang on, isn't it? Isn't following Jesus easy? Isn't it just we, we have faith and we are saved? Well, yes, it is that simple on one level. But the weight of that, the real weight of that, and what it means to persevere, um, I, I wonder if we've got that slightly out of perspective. I wonder if we set the bar too low. I wonder if in our right desire to spread the message of God's love to the whole world, we sometimes forget how hard it is to be a follower of Christ and what the demands that Christ make on us or on any new believer are. And I'm not saying that we've got it all wrong and the early church have got it all right, but it, it was, it's a very interesting dynamic to see where they set the bar and maybe where we in Western Christianity today set the bar. So I'm hoping you're still a little bit frustrated at this point because I still haven't quite got round to answering what the way is. So we've established um, it's, it's, the bar is very high. Uh, we've established it's not just let's, let's all have nice, happy, healthy, good lives, a bit like Jesus. But actually, what is it? So I think the best description of the way, and, and, and remember back to our road signs, a way should get us somewhere. A way should get us to a destination. And this way is talking about the way to God, the way to the Father, 
the way to the kingdom, the way to eternity. So I think what this way involves, we are best served at thinking about it in three categories that the rest of the New Testament um, kind of capitulates back to. And that is thinking about it in terms of battling against the world, the flesh and the devil. Uh, These are three categories that come up often in scripture. So I think it's really important we try and understand them because they don't necessarily mean what we might think of on first listening to them. So we are constantly exhausted as followers of the way to fight against the flesh, the world and the devil. So I'm going to give you very quick summaries of what I think um, the essence of these concepts are to kind of help us draw the picture of what it means to be followers of the way. So the flesh. Now, obviously, we have all got flesh. We've got physical flesh. Um, that in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I'm very happy I have flesh. I think it would be a, a very messy picture if I didn't have flesh. Flesh in and of itself is not a bad thing. But what flesh indicates in the scriptures is that that kind of instinct, that inclination within each of us as human beings to go against the way of God, to incline towards self-reliance and self-fulfillment and assuming our desires are correct and worthwhile desires rather than as an instinct inclining towards God. Within ourselves, we've got that kind of that potential to rebel against God. Now, the good news is, as Christians, Scripture says we have been born again. Scripture says we have been set free from the law um, of sin and death. And part of that means we are not condemned um, to follow our flesh. We are not condemned to live trapped um, in our sin. Jesus brings us freedom for that. And he sends his Holy Spirit to empower us to conquer over the flesh. So that is the good news. So our challenge as followers of the way is to keep on dwelling in that new life that God has put in us. It's to keep on seeking to be filled with his help, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to prioritise his way and not, the in, and not that inclination to turn away from him. So we have that internal battle. That's the flesh. The devil. The devil um, is the leader of and represents the entirety of spiritual warfare in this universe. And whether we like it or not, as spiritual beings, we are intimately part of a great spiritual battle um, that has been raging ever since the fall, ever since the fall of Satan. And so because we're part of that battle, um, Satan is lined up against us. There is, there is a very real um, choice we have to make in the spiritual realm about whether we listen to his lies um, and his offer, or whether we listen to the truth and the offer of Jesus. So we've got this kind of battle within ourselves. We've got this battle in the spiritual realm. And then we've got this third category called the world. Now, again, the world has been massively kind of misquoted as, as, as a way of condemning and judging lots of things that are actually good. So what I understand the world to mean in scripture is those kinds of, of systems and assumptions um, in how we operate communally as humanity that say we can do it without God. The kind of, the kind of convenience, the kind of um, assumptions, the kinds of pursuits that say collectively we don't need you, God. So if the flesh is kind of our individual, we don't need you, God. If the devil is the spiritual, we don't need you, God. 
the world is that kind of collective humanness of God, we don't need you. We can, we, we can work out this life thing without you. So to be a follower of the way is to stand up radically against those three enemies. Um, and I hopefully you're seeing why Jesus paints this as a hard battle. Because what I've just said, that sounds really hard. I, 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 in many ways, I do not relish that challenge. But that is, that is absolutely the battle and the challenge that we are in. So I just want to say again, we, we, we cannot walk the way of Christ in our own strength. We cannot think that we can push our own way into the way. No, we've got to be submitted to Christ. We've got to keep on fighting day after day for the good work that God has done within us, holding on to all of the things he has already done in our lives and having faith for more breakthrough, more victory, being strengthened day by day by the Holy Spirit and seeking that that kind of real unity with God that will keep us from the world, the flesh and the devil. I'm going to say a bit more about that later, but let's, let, let's move on. So if that's the way outlined by Jesus, what does Jesus mean by the truth? So maybe what I've just described, maybe it'd be possible to think, okay, this way thing, this way of Jesus, this is, this is one way of doing life on a whole menu of spiritual options. Um, though, to be honest, if that was one of the options on the menu, it probably wouldn't be the one that many of us would pick. It, it, that, that would be the difficult kind of barely cooked seafood option on the spiritual menu. It's not that palatable if it is just a choice we make according to our own tastes. But that's not what we believe. We don't believe that Jesus's way is one way of many ways to reach God. We believe it is the only way. We believe that Jesus has demonstrated in of himself that he is the only way to God. And therefore, our choice isn't do we want Jesus or do we want Buddha or do we want Muhammad or do we want no one whatsoever and just to do things our way? It's no, no. Jesus is the true way. And you've probably already sensed that this is where it gets really offensive. This is gets really offensive, particularly to our ears today. Perhaps this wouldn't have been quite so offensive um, to the ears of the Jews who are listening to it, because they did live within a worldview of there being one God and one God alone. Um, maybe eating flesh and blood of Jesus, that was possibly more offensive to them. But to, to our modern ears, I would say this is the most offensive of all of Jesus's I am statements, because he does not leave any room um, for alternatives. He does not leave any room for us to self-determine what our beliefs are. And that, and that, that really rubs against what we love to do as humans and as individuals. And we are living in a culture and a time and a worldview which has kind of, what's the word, it's kind of catalyzed that instinct away from God to say, Actually, you can define things and that's OK. In fact, if you are not defining things for yourself, there's there's probably something wrong there. So let's 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 not let's stand some ground here. Um, let, let's be really, really clear that we are standing behind Jesus as he says these offensive things. So let me be very clear. The way of Islam with its legalism does not lead to the father. The way of Hinduism and paganism with their mysticisms do not lead to the father. 
Judaism, in refusing to acknowledge the coming of the Messiah, does not lead to the Father. Atheism, with its furious outright denial of God, does not lead to the Father. Western materialism, with its emphasis on comfort, ease and disposability, does not lead to the Father. Sexual liberalism, with its insistence that we should pursue every whim we have to be true to ourselves, does not lead to the Father. Being successful in any field, whether that's a successful politician, entertainer, sportsman, artist, cook, academic, that does not lead to the Father. And I haven't said those statements because I enjoy being controversial or because I enjoy being offensive. That is really not my personality. But there really is nowhere else to go here. I can either stand behind Jesus when he says, I am the only way to the Father, or I can walk away from here and leave, which is what I might as well do if I don't say that. He is the only way to the Father, brothers and sisters. There are no equals. There are no rivals. There are no superior philosophies that stand against him. And that's why we call him Lord. That's why we worship him. That's why we take the title Christ, Christians, to describe ourselves. He is the absolute eternal revelation of God to us. And we must hang on to him with that if we are to know any power in following him on the way. So Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. So thirdly, the life. So even if we understand the hard way of Jesus and even if we accept, OK, this is this is this is true. The answer is still there. Well, why? Why, even if it's true, would I want to acknowledge and follow and stand in this way? Where does this way lead to? Am I just going to end up on a random road like that good luck sign? Am I going to end up in Stoke? Where, where am I going to end up? This is, this, this is the question we still live with. What's the point of it all? Why would we live with this offence? Why would we live with these difficulties? Why would we live with these really hard battles against the flesh, the world and the devil if we don't know where the way is leading to? Well, the way is leading to life. And life is relationship with our Father in heaven. Life is union with God. Life is knowing the Holy Spirit in us. That is why it is worth it, brothers and sisters. Because if we do not stand in the way of Jesus, if we do not stand in the truth of Jesus, we cannot come to the Father. And that's the whole conversation Jesus is having his disciples in the passage we are reading, isn't it? They are battling to get to the Father. They, they've sensed that Jesus is really onto something. They've been with him for over two years at this point. This is one of the most intimate discourses that Jesus has with his disciples at the Last Supper. And he is, he is directly leading them to the Father, which is the thing their hearts really desire. And a bit of a side note, but isn't it encouraging for Thomas? Thomas gets a lot of rap in the Gospels. Thomas, you might know him as Doubting Thomas. He's one of the slower to believe. He's always got all of the questions. But he asks this question and we get this wonderful, clear answer from Jesus. But then not only that, Philip comes in at verse eight and Philip still hasn't got it at this point. So for once, Thomas might be one step ahead of one of the other disciples at this point. I bet he was being feeling so relieved at Philip's follow up at this point. But again, Jesus just answers with such tenderness. He says, do you not know me, Philip? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. 
So they get their goal. They get the life that they are after by following the way of Jesus. But I think there are other aspects when Jesus says, I am the life. I think there are things he means beyond just relationship with him and union with God. I think that is the absolute linchpin of it. And if we were to get rid of all of the rest of it, that was the thing we'd keep as central and hold on to. But life in God, life in the kingdom of God is, is, is so big, so broad, so wonderful in so many ways um, that I think we need to explore it a bit more. So I want to suggest two other categories. So if our first category of what life means is that union and relationship with God. Um, the two other categories I want to put out there is a radical reshaping of community and the reward of the kingdom. So let's go for those one at a time. Radical reshaping of community. What do I mean by that? In essence, I mean us. I mean church. I mean being brought into the kind of relationships with our fellow believers um, that when they are, as Jesus would have them, are of a quality and of a depth and of a richness, the kind of relationships unimaginable apart from the community of Christ. We are called to be so radically, radically different, brothers and sisters, to the world around us. Jubilee Church Solihull should feel like a beacon of light and difference amidst the other communities of Solihull. Um, we haven't got time to explore any of, of what that actually means, but I, all, all I can say is this, this, is, this, is, this is your home. This is part of your reward. And I hope you feel at home here. I hope you feel a joy at being part of this this community of God that he has brought together in this place and of being part of the broad community of God that spreads over the whole world. This radical community is both global and it's local. And we experience it every time we have fellowship with each other, every time we meet up, every time we go somewhere, every time we pray for each other. We are part of something truly extraordinary. And maybe if you've been disillusionment or maybe if you've just been wearied by things of life and you've lost that, that passion and that, that delight in being part of a church community to say, it's time to get reconnected to that vision. Because that is part of why you are going through these battles. It's part of why you are going through the fight of faith. It's to become part of a wonderful band of brothers and sisters who are going on that journey with you. So we've got union with God. We've got each other. And then we've got the reward of the kingdom. If we think back to some of those really hard statements Jesus was saying about being followers of the way, about not burying our fathers, about selling everything we have, about hating our family, um, about being hated by the world. That wasn't one I quoted earlier, but it's in there as well, just to, just to add another one in there. You would think, what in the world would, would, would entice someone to say yes to that? If, let, let's say for a, for a minute we take God out of the picture. Let, let's put this into the, the context of a quest. Let's put this into a classic kind of quest for treasure. If you were to tell your superhero that they had to go through all of those things and imagine, reimagine those things as the most, most terrible orcs, the most terrible dragons... All of the most, all of the most just, oh, no, I don't want to face that. Just just line the path with them. For our hero to say yes to going on that quest, 
the treasure at the end has to be pretty special. They're not going to go just for a few bags of gold. They're going to want to see a hoard of treasure surpassing anything that any of our literature has yet been able to imagine. Stretching for miles and miles and miles in all different colours, in all different radiances. Then, and only then, may they go for that quest. So let's put God back into the picture. God is saying to us, collectively and to individuals, I am going to give you a kingdom. I am going to give you a kingdom in which you are going to be co-reigning with me. I'm going to give you real responsibilities in the kingdom. I'm going to let you pursue all of the things you've ever wanted to pursue without the restrictions, without the limitations. All of the sin, all of the sorrow, all of the soundness, all of the opposition that has thwarted you in your life. I'm going to deliver you into a real kingdom where all of that is gone and you can pursue that. You're going to have life that was meant to be. You're going to have that restoration of the Eden relationship of being my co-creator. This is what I offer you in the kingdom. And I offer that in my eternal presence. I offer that in the eternal light and the eternal joy and the eternal satisfaction of my presence. You you all have that all. And Jesus really promises to us, this is not a fairy tale that I'm telling. We have fairy tales to tell the true story. And this is the true story, that God is promising those who are followers of the way an eternal kingdom, unimaginable real, tangible, where all of the dreams that may have been so crushed in this life will be restored and will be realised, where all of the sadness we've experienced will be restituted and we will live in eternal joy. (sighs) So, that's the offer. It's hard. Look what you get at the end of it. But the good news is, we don't have to strive to get into the kingdom. The path of the kingdom is hard, but to get in, Jesus has done all of the work. We heard wonderfully in the worship from Paul about that that clearing of debt that Jesus has done to allow us to come to the Father. And so we can know Jesus. And as Jesus says in this verse, if you know me, you know the Father. So we can be assured That if we say yes, if we say yes to this incredibly high calling of Jesus, there's no barriers to getting in. He's done all of that. He's made the way for us.